0: This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR, sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state, and by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson.
1: Welcome, everyone, and thanks for listening. The MPC-22 Conference on Mackinac Island is a place and event where any conversation can happen and often does. This show knows the potential that can happen when you change the conversation. You change, your connections, culture, and conclusions all change. And that is the power of conversations, particularly on Mackinac at the Detroit Regional Chamber Policy Conference. Recently, while attending, Jerry and I sat down with some Michigan-based leaders and influencers to talk, to chat, to converse about the work of the Food Bank Council and our efforts to lead the work to create a food secure Michigan. I think you will enjoy hearing from Garrett Rothschild, the CEO at Consumers, Attorney General Dana Nessel, Lou Rubel from the Department of Health and Human Services, and a newcomer to our world, but a full of life and passion for this work friend, Yasmine JC from Citizens Bank. All four come from varied backgrounds, but all have a hunger to see food security created statewide. That's today on Food First Michigan. We're back. Thanks for listening,
2: everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here at Jerry. I'm going to give you this privilege. You know what? We are so proud to have Yasmin <laughs> from Citizens Bank here with us. Um, she is the market leader now, um, recently. Recently. And uh, and we're so proud that she is standing with us in the gap for our hungry neighbors in so many ways. But before we get to that piece, tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you get here?
3: Wow, it is a long journey. But for the sake of your amazing listeners and for the two of you, I'll try to keep it short. Um, you know, I started out uh, born and raised in uh, Canada. Uh, went to school in, at the University of Windsor. Met my fabulous husband uh, while I, after I graduated, and uh, we talked about whoever got a job on either side of the border, that's where we'd move. And sure enough, I fell in love with banking and everything that it could do for the community and for the people. And I got a job at um, in, inside Michigan. Uh, Now it would have been about 24 years ago. Wow. And I have been in it ever since. Um, Not many institutions, just a couple of institutions, but uh, now most recently here for two months.
2: Wow, that's excellent. Yeah. So... Here we are at the Mackinac Policy Conference. Yes, we are. We're working on a lot of really important things, right? Mm-hmm. And and what we're all here together to do really is work toward building our community, right? In so many different ways, whether it's the the topics that are coming up or the different people that we meet, the relationships that we're establishing. And I know from from the time that we spent together, that sense of community and the responsibility to the community has been one of the pillars that have driven you into this work. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that what is it about banking in the community that's captured you and, and really got you excited
3: Well the reality is is they're not mutually exclusive in fact they're fundamentally connected no matter how you look at it when you have a community that's prospering when you have a community that is not going without when they're educated when they're not hungry when they're actually contributing you know and, and able to function within society, our greatest commodity is our people. Our people are fantastic. The people in Michigan and Detroit, they're fantastic. And when they're taken care of, they take care of their community. And hence, you end up having economic prosperity. You have, you know, fundamentally fantastic people going into either higher education or coming out and starting their own businesses. It's just, if we don't bridge that gap between what's good for the market and what's good for the Community, then we will consistently fall behind. And the reality is, is that we just have to be able to see it through one lens, and being able to really uh, focus on taking care of our community will allow us to be able to improve the economy overall. So, as you look at leading this market, mm-hmm. what do you kind of set up? Where are you setting your sights? So that's a fantastic question and one of the things that attracted me to Citizens is not only, you know, their ability to expand from a corporate responsibility to our to our clients but also empowering our colleagues and taking care of the community. And by taking care of the community we're actually looking at four fundamental areas: education, which is critical from day 1, right? If you teach people how to, you know, be financially literate, they will be able to succeed going forward. Social justice, which is extremely important. Environmental and sustainability, which is also extremely important. Um, but what's near and dear to my heart is, you know, fighting hunger. And this is a focus of Citizens Bank and it's what attracted me to come to this bank is the the real dedication to making sure that we look for ways to fight hunger across the country. And specifically, our partnership with Gleaners allows us to be able to do that in the most fantastic way by ensuring kids don't go hungry over the summer.
1: You know, I'm listening to the four pillars here, right? So uh, education, uh, social justice, environmental, and food security. Mm -hmm. It's amazing to me how all four of those are connected. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I don't think you can have, create food security without and dealing with, with folks' environmental issues, mm-hmm. uh, whatever that might look like. Um, we would think immediately comes to my mind would be access and uh, public transportation and those kinds of things. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, social justice. We saw in the pandemic how uh, in the early days, uh, communities of color who didn't have immediate access mm-hmm. to uh, the vaccine. were were, we had to deal with that. We had to make an adjustment and credit to uh, the governor for appointing a a task force to to look at that and make those recommendations. And those recommendations were incorporated inside of the pandemic. We didn't wait and study it five years later, they were done. And then education, you know, we have a friend, Rob Fowler, who says that education is the surest way out of poverty and entrepreneurism is the quickest way
3: Mm -hmm. so I
1: i really like the four pillars
3: i don't disagree with any of that and they're they're definitely connected and when we when we make sure that we're feeding our children and that they're having nutritious meals we avoid issues that are that are developed like developmental issues and cognitive issues and when they become full and successful and get through school and a good education and they're financially literate, they go on and they become the entrepreneurs, they become the, they become the bankers right? right, of our future. Right. And they have a different lens that they can contribute based on what they actually achieved through their lifetime. And we bring about a much more uh, holistic view and representation for our entire economy. And that can only help everyone. Well, the other
2: thing is there's so much hope involved in the work, you know, and I, and I got to have a shout out for your team. We've worked with your team for a long time, you know, and, and they helped us put together one of the most successful campaigns we've ever had. And that has to do with educating the public about what happens in the summer when kids aren't in school. And those kids depend on those meals in school. And so Hunger Free Summer was, was our way of, of educating the community about just this truth, right, that people mm-hmm. didn't really realize. They just weren't thinking about it. But once people put two and two together and it didn't take long, you could see people supporting feeding kids for the whole summer and trying to make sure that this issue could, well, we like to say we could take hunger off the table, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so I just want to say to your whole team, Thank you for all the support you've given this effort over all these years. I mean, it, it's, I, it has been a lot of years. I mean, I, I, I didn't have hair then either. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, they can't really see that on the radio. Right. But, uh, but nonetheless, you know, it has been inspiring work. And, and we believe that this is a solvable problem. Mm-hmm but it can only be solved when everyone that has a stake in it participates. And so we're getting broader participation and we're we're just so grateful for you stepping alongside us all this time.
3: Uh, thank you and I know we have a fantastic team and I'd love to take credit for it but being here for only 2 months I got to <laughs> I get to get the benefit of everything that they've already established but Jerry honestly you've been a fantastic partner. All I hear about is how wonderful the organization is, how easy it is to work with, how well, you know, your ability to you know have mass purchasing power how your ability to be able to service the entire market it's it, it gives us great sense of pride to partner with you on this important initiative and you're absolutely right people are, were just not aware that these children go without you know nutritious meals through the summer that they get the majority of their meals through the school year and you know, again, we're empowering these families, we're giving them the ability to raise their families, to get them out of poverty, simply by helping, you know, partnering with gleaners, underwriting a match, an opportunity to match dollars, dollar for dollar uh, through August 31st, I believe. You know, these kind of things, you know, allow us to fight some of the real difficult challenges that we have today in terms of inflation, um, which is, only making it worse for a lot of these families, right? Gas and food prices. Um, By having this match, by working with you, by taking every dollar that anybody in this great community contributes and doubling it, providing these meals for these families. I mean, it just, it brings warmth to my heart.
1: Well, it's great to have you. Thank you for, um, we say a lot on this show to our guests. Thank you for how you're investing your one handful of life.
3: Very nice meeting you both. Jerry, I knew you, but meeting you, Dr.
1: (laughs) Phil. It's my pleasure. Thanks for being with us. Jerry and I are back in just a moment.
0: Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and
1: Jerry Brisson. Our First timer for the show. First timer um, (laughs) is the CEO at Consumers, uh, Garrett Rothschild. So welcome.
0: Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity to be on the podcast. Yeah, it's it's great. I got a like first timer. Is there like an initiation or I mean,
2: Yeah, a little (laughs) bit. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, We'll have to talk about that (laughs) off air. But uh, so let let me let me start this off. as, as probably one of the best ways I know how to compliment you and the culture of consumers. Uh, it was March when the pandemic washed across mm-hmm. Michigan and dots of decisions were being made. And I, I looked at my phone. It was ringing. And on the other end of that line is a woman by the name of Carolyn Bloodworth. Ah, yeah, Carolyn. It's the first call I got when the pandemic hit. And she said, Dr. Phil, tell me what you need. Because Carolyn gets it. So right now, today, all the food that is in all seven-plus warehouses of the seven Feeding America food banks that serve all of Michigan is going somewhere. It's not like we have a bunch of food sitting around, you know, trying to discover where it's going to be. This all committed someplace. And Carolyn got that. She knew it. And she said, tell me what you need. I said we probably need money to purchase food, and she said, tune. "I'll get back in touch." Yeah. First call, yeah. You know the worst public health crisis in a hundred years, and it and it was your company.
0: Well, we appreciate that. Thank you for that acknowledgement, and I'll um, I'll be sure to pass it on to Carolyn. She's, Please do. We've got a great team, and she's uh, an amazing leader in our foundation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then to represent the entire you know company and the workforce and the difference that you make and. And just recently more so in Gaylord, you know, uh, it's like, it's like our trucks follow each other, <laughs> you know, whenever there's a crisis, a tornado, a dam, a flood or whatever. You need to get flashing lights like we yeah, do. We should. Time. We really should. We should, you know, caravan or something. So our trucks are right from the food banks are right, right coming alongside of you. Yeah.
0: That was such devastation there and that, in the swath of, you know, that tornado that went through, through Gaylord and. Uh, we were, you know, we had all the customers restored within 30 hours and and put up new wires and new poles. And, and, uh, but as you pointed out, it's not just the electricity, right? It's the damage. It's the, you know, people that are, you know, moved, have to move out of their homes or their homes no longer there. There's food, there's shelter issues, which you guys are, are really close to. And, and again, it is a, caravan of support and carolyn was right behind that too with more more giving in uh, in the community our
1: our food bank of eastern michigan out of flint was you know that's in their service territory and and there they were you know and to think about the infrastructure that it takes to be able to respond to a crisis like that you know you can't go wait a minute we should buy a truck (laughs) you know you can't you you gotta you gotta be on the road you already have the infrastructure built same with us i mean one of the hallmarks of food banking and Jerry can speak very intelligently to this is the reason food banks came into existence some 40 years ago which we've only been around about 40 years
2: is to keep make sure the food distributed to the community was safe absolutely right i mean food safety is a huge deal but but you know we're a country that hates waste we hate it right so food waste was just really a bothersome problem man really seriously and so people were fixated on it back then and, they, and and the, there was this thought that went along with that, well, who's going to get this food, right? And so why don't we give it to, to people who need it? And that was the genesis of food banking, creating the logistics system to get the food that was going to waste and then get it to the people who need it. When we started that, there were 12 partners, you know, now – now, how many statewide partners do we have? 2,000 and some 2,800. 2,800 pantries and soup kitchens and shelters, community center schools, who are part of, you know, what we do to get food to people mm-hmm. uh, when, you know, all the time, but certainly at, at the times of crisis. Uh, so, but infrastructure is something you know a lot about. I mean, you're, you're it, it, the fabric of the community right here with us. I mean, I I think about the things that people depend on that we serve and you can't, you can't say enough about the utilities that people need to, to get by every day. And it's so important to people, the work that you're doing for them.
0: Well, I would just want to thank the Food Bank Council. I mean, like you said, you guys do amazing work in our communities and are part of the, the quilt work and the fabric of this community. So thanks for your work. You know, often when it comes to infrastructure we don't think about it in terms so much of infrastructure it's part of what we do obviously we're doing construction work we don't think about it in terms of electrons or our gas molecules it's really about heat mm-hmm. and light and quality of life and economic vitality all those things that we, we know and expect and in Again, are part of who we are in the, in the fabric of the community. so we've that, that higher level calling when it comes to comes to our work.
2: But I do think it attracts people at least in, in, in our experience who who do want to make a difference. right And of course the, that the spending of that one handful of life that we all get is a pretty important decision, you know, but when you get into work that, that matters to people deeply every day, and you know it matters. I mean, just to say we got everyone back, you know, within 30 hours, that's an incredible yeah. uh, accomplishment. And I know it's one of the metrics that you guys look at to say, how do we make sure we're, we're providing the best possible yeah. service?
0: One of the things we've seen, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the great rising nation, right? right? People leaving companies. Over this time period, we've got a 95% retention rate. That's yeah. That's just, it lines up with what, I mean, there's wow. been no change as a result of what's going on in the world. And we attribute a lot of that to our culture and our mission and being able to go out and respond to, you know, if I think back about Sanford, uh, Lake and sure. Edenville dam failures, um, yeah, we had to restore power and restore gas, but there was such a community impacted. We had, you know, people that rushed in and volunteered to be able to support and mm-hmm. provide food and shelter and other, and other forms of, of, of giving during the course of the pandemic we worked closely with Henry Ford Allegiance Hospital in Jackson right we were in the in the vaccine piece we're not healthcare providers they provided the healthcare but we were in logistics and helping people get through faster right to be able to again so there's this sense of community because we live here we work here we play here that's critically important and we think it's part of our you know what helps us retain our people because they just they like the work we do they like the mission to your point
1: well, that's, that's really interesting, again, because it's such parallels the work of the food banks. I mean, these guys are logistical geniuses, you know, which is what you guys have to be as well. It's just remarkable to me some of the parallels between your company and the, the, the charitable food system and how it works.
0: And you guys play such an important role in the community, and it is a logistics, uh, you know, challenge. Sometimes it's, a, a, you know, you've got to figure out how, like to your point earlier, you, you can't buy the truck today when you're right, going to deliver you know, it. So uh, there is such an, a logistics piece, but you've got to do s- such great work here um, to support those in need across Michigan. Um, it's, it's really appreciated.
1: Well, high compliment to be first in in the worst health crisis in 100 years and, and the company's first in, and I think that speaks to the culture. And it also speaks to the retention, you know. Uh, and I think that's something to be very proud of.
0: Yeah. And what we think, too, I mean, f- that there's so much more work to be done. I mean, we're with inflation right now, with commodity costs increasing, with the uncertainty of what's going on in the Ukraine and Russia, there's just a, a lot going on yeah. uh, among Michigan's residents and our customers. And so the food bank and other things that, you know, our foundation are doing to be able to support Michigan are were important at the beginning of the pandemic and are important now is, I mean yeah. frankly we're still in a pandemic but now sure. you're adding other pressures in there as well that just make it challenging for our yeah. customers.
1: One of the things pre-pandemic you remember this we sat down with some of your team and looked at maps. So look at look at your GIS map of of communities that, you know, maybe had a more difficult time staying current on their bills and we put our food insecurity map over the top of that and are these the same communities? Are these the same families? Then how can we pool resources to really address the need in the,
0: in the community? I love, you know, one of my favorite things is to talk about data and how we can use data in different ways. to. I, I to
1: heard work. something about that.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how we can bring that together, I mean, it's really important because, you know, as you know this, when we find someone who's struggling to pay their electric bill, they're awesome. You know they're having problems with food or medicine, and the ability to have like a complete wraparound to help that uh, that individual or help that family is so critical. We don't want them to make choices. Well, you know, I'm going to get the medicine for little Bobby, or I'm going to not, or I'm not going to put food on the table, or I'm going to pay my electric bill. Those are just those are difficult choices that frankly people shouldn't have to in. In our great, right. great state today, in our great country, shouldn't have to make those choices, but unfortunately right. they do. And you guys and your organization play such an important role. And whether it's energy or food, there are programs out there. And the more we can encourage people, if they haven't reached out for help, to, to seek help because it's available out there.
1: So, Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for being with us. Yeah. We appreciate
0: you very much. Thanks for inviting me. I'll have to come back again. Definitely. The the hazing wasn't too bad. (laughs) The hazing was not too bad. Not too bad. We will definitely have you back. Sure. Sounds great.
1: Thank you. Jerry and I are back in just a moment.
0: Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry.
1: And an alumni is back with us, Louis Rubel, who is the deputy director for Opportunity at
2: DHHS, which stands for? Well, Opportunity, oh, that's not what you meant. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. You can't ask me anything, doctor, and get a yeah, serious right. answer. So, no, The yeah. Department of Health and Human Services for the state of Michigan, and I did know that. Right. I did know that's that. Good. I, I just couldn't good. help myself. I'm sorry, Lou. <laughs> but you never know what's going to happen
1: on this show. So uh, just to remind everybody, we had the opportunity to work together on the Governor's Food Security Council. We co-chaired that together. And um, congratulations. That work is over. <laughs> it, it was good work, Phil. It was good work. It was good work. And um, so, so you are uh, – tell us about the, the work at the department in regard to food security and – uh, let's unpack that a little bit and why you're here at the uh, at the uh, policy conference.
4: Yes, yeah, certainly. So, you know, the department continues our work around food security in a number of spaces, right? Social determinants of health is a, a hot topic that we are fully engaged in. Uh, you know, we know that the uh, especially lower income families in Michigan are facing uh, food insecurity as uh, the prices of groceries rise, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, uh, many of us are, are well aware of. So how do we uh, double down and do our work as best? We can partner with groups uh, from, you know, various uh, various uh, backgrounds, various community uh, efforts, et cetera, so we can, you know, best position uh, the youth in Michigan to be successful. Um, right. It's important work and one that takes all of us. And you gentlemen are... Uh, I think, uh, idyllic of that reality. And so I've always appreciated being able to chat with you and uh, be part of uh, this this movement.
2: Well, nice of you to say, I mean, when you think about all of the resources that flow through your department to help people in so many different ways, I mean, it's humbling for us. We, we do what we do. We walk alongside you. We support families who are getting help from so many programs that come from the Department of Health and Human Services. And, and we depend so much on your success, right? In, and and the, the things that you're doing to innovate, the things that you're doing to, to really, how do families have the easiest access to the help they need? And I know that's a big topic. And of course, you know, you're, you're in the forefront of all those conversations to try to make systems better for people. And so we're really proud to work with you on, you know, in any way we can, uh, as you're really leading the charge in a lot of different ways.
4: Yeah, thanks, Jerry. You know, the, the department for a number of years now has really kind of done a lot of self-reflection, right? You know, what, what is the experience of a Michigander uh, who is needing a little bit of help? And with that, you know, we've we've looked in the mirror, realized there was a number of things that we needed to be doing better. The reality though is this work's complicated. Yeah. So, so we, we solve some problems, and then we find more. <laughs> and we solve some problems, and we find more. So, you know, that work continues today. I'm e- ecstatic that Michigan is placed where it is, right? Uh, you know, we want to dig experience for individuals that seek assistance. We want to make sure that you know uh, the the process uh, is is fundamentally correct. We don't want to uh, have the benefits be open to fraud and things of that nature. You know that that's that's not what we're here for. We want to be responsible with uh, with these resources, but we want to make sure the individuals who are eligible for them can get them.
2: And are you and I, and I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but are are one of the are you working at trying to get people who are already qualified for one program to be fed into the system so they get the other things they're qualified for all at once. I mean, and yep. again, I don't know how many steps that takes, but I, I can tell you this, when you're a person who's, who's struggling to make ends meet, every minute of your life matters, right? You're, you're trying to get a lot done with very limited resources, and so making it easier for people to get what they need, rather than having to go here, and then go here, and then go here, and I know that's something that we've talked about before, but, but it is really, really important for families to limit how much exposure they have to have to to
4: all the different ways that they need help. Yep. So Jerry, a couple of things, you know, we, we call that cross enrollment and, and that's, I think something that, you know, has is, is been termed a Michigan term, but other states, you know, have versions of it. The reality is, is what, what do we know about our families that we serve and what can we do to maybe help them a little bit easier? So a couple of examples, you know, we, we realized that individuals who were uh, needing a, uh, some food assistance would often come to the department if they had children under the age of five, they may or may not know about the WIC program. Yeah. So, you know, recently we've been able to integrate the WIC program, so somebody who visits our MyBridge's website to apply for SNAP or food assistance can also apply for WIC. We hope that that allows, you know, uh, kids under five to have access to nutrition, the, the, the tr- nutritional support. Furthermore, we know uh, that there is a, a lot of individuals, especially, you know, uh, elderly individuals who might not be aware of, you know, what, what programs are available to help them out. So how can we look through that, maybe give them a nudge, say, hey, could this be helpful? Could that be helpful? Uh, perhaps people are aware but aren't interested, totally fine. But if there is uh, the opportunity for us to make uh, families, individuals, elderly, seniors aware of resources that might help them out, then, then we want to do that for them versus expecting them to all become experts in our right, world. Right,
2: which is complicated work, as you just said. Work. Exactly right, and it helps It helps in so many ways. And, I, again, I just applaud the the. the innovative thinking that you're going through to make that stuff work.
1: I think the pandemic caused us all to do a bit of self-reflection, right? Uh, what are we doing right? What do we need to do better? What does the community need us to do better? And, and you know, so when you talk about cross-enrollment, how do we make that streamlined so it takes less of a person who has, you know, this is a weird way to say it, but really has fewer minutes in the day to invest in this than maybe what somebody else would have because they're managing so much more with less. But then, the, <laughs> Lou, there's the idea, and this is a topic up here at the policy conference, is how do we align programs across state government and 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 community-based organizations so that we know that they're being used, or at least we can evaluate if they're being used in the most effective way. So I, I think that's part of the self-reflection for for you guys at DHHS
4: and certainly for us in a community-based charitable food system Phil without a doubt you know one of the things that we know is when we can use like categorical eligibility right where if you're if you're eligible for X then you're also eligible for Y so let's save save that administrative burden on whatever agency is administering Y right and you know it makes everybody involved more efficient we're looking for opportunities to do that the pandemic allowed us some great opportunities to explore that and see the success of it so you know moving forward I think there's something we can build on there so and I think that probably
1: so this is a great topic it's everybody wants to see higher effectiveness more you know uh, um, better results you know we want to help people uh, you know move towards self-sufficiency but the devil's in the details right I mean to talk to build a system capable of cross-enrollment or no wrong door wherever they might be screened for a social determinant of health that's that's a lot of work and even more money and <laughs> it's
2: legislation. And let's just say that's not always written with seamless idea in mind, it's, right? It's, so yeah, it's not like a company. <laughs>
1: right. you know, it's not like it's a company, so you go raise the capital f- to, to make the investment. Right. This has a, a, a little other small step here because, <laughs> called appropriation. <laughs>
4: so, you know, it's, that's part of your job as well. You know, the reality is, is as many things that are different based on what side of the aisle somebody may be on, there is plenty in the middle here for us to work from, right? And so, you know, Dr. Knight, you're you're working the Food Security Council. We saw folks from multiple sides of uh, the political spectrum come together. Everybody cares about, it, like, you know, health care and the wellness of residents. Mm-hmm. And, and there's things there that we can build on.
1: So last thing here for this uh, part of the show with Lou. Um, Lou is a recipient of the Hunger um, hero award from the food bank council we have not had the opportunity to give him that award yet because of covid and we had to cancel the event but I, I want everybody to know that you are well deserved for your work and how you really stood in the gap during the pandemic uh to ensure that everybody from the cradle to the grave got the opportunity to have access to food and it's a proud for us to give you that award and we're going to do that publicly. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I, I, I was worried that it was getting revoked, Phil. So you no, you, no, you, you no, took my anxiety, anxiety no, level down a little no, bit.
1: No, not at <laughs> all. Never. It won't happen. won't
4: happen. So
1: Truly he's, Lu, humbling. he's Lou you. Rubel. He's the Deputy Director of Opportunity for the Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, he's been our co-chair on the Food Security Council. But more than that, he's our friend and colleague in this work to create a food secure Michigan.
4: Glad to be in it with you, gentlemen. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. Thanks
1: for being with us. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here, and our special guest, Dana Nessel, our Attorney General. Dana, thank you for being here.
5: Thanks for having me.
1: One of the reasons we wanted to have you is we think a lot about the work of equity in regard to food banking and how do we ensure that we're getting the food to the people who need it most. And and I think that Jerry at Gleaners and the rest of our food banks are absolute. it's a value. So that makes it a non-negotiable. We wanna make sure that we're doing this work in the best way through a, a lens of equity.
5: Yeah, absolutely, uh, and, and you know, I mean, nutritious food should, in my opinion, not be a privilege, it, it should be a right that we have. And I mean, every family in our state deserves to have the opportunity to be able to feed themselves. I mean, my gosh, this is the United States of America. If we can't provide that to people, how do we call ourselves a first world nation? Uh, And you know, there are people who who go through struggles where that's not available to them. There are a lot of people who quite honestly live in, in food deserts. And even if they have food available, it's not healthy, it's not nutritious food. Um, and that's the, the great work that you guys do in providing all kinds of products that, you know, would not otherwise be available to people and, um, you know, it's such honorable work and, and important work, so, you know, I support everything you guys do.
1: I think some of the parallels that exist in our work and your work as the Attorney General is you're standing in the gap for the people of this state. and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, as Jerry said, get the folks a little bit of help for a little while that they need it. And so I think that the parallels of standing in the gap for people who don't have a voice, who can't say what needs to be said. And from their perspective is really the work part of the work that you do as the attorney general. And I got to tell you, I love it. I appreciate you and, and, not only what you do, but how you do it, and who you do it for.
5: Well, first of all, that means so much to me coming from people that I respect so much and the work that you guys are doing and that you've done for so many years. I mean, you know, you you save lives, you've saved so many people's lives, and you've improved so many people's lives, and, you know, you're providing, oh my gosh, you know, what is more important than the food that you eat and the ability to access that? So. You know, I, I I wish there weren't so many people in our state that required your services, but there are. And thank God, uh, you know, that you're there for that. I always encourage people when they are asking, you know, what are nonprofits that are really doing the most good? It's, uh, of course, the work that you guys do. I mean, that would be one of the first places that it would always, always look um, for people to, to put their... Uh, nonprofit dollars, whatever they have. Um, this is the place to go if you really want to help as many people as possible. And so I, I'm just so grateful for it. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just so happy to be of any kind of use at all that you guys can put yep. me to to, to help um, not just highlight the work that you're doing, but assist you in any other sort of way. For any assistance that you guys need from the legislature, I would try to help. Lesser so effective for me, but I will still do everything I possibly can to, you know, to make sure that you know this is something that, at a minimal level, when you talk about what governments should be providing to the people of their yeah. state, it's the ability to be able to feed your families, right?
1: Well, that's, that's a very generous offer, and we do have a line item, and one of the things in that line item would allow us to do uh, a Michigan hunger study uh, it basically until we don't need to do a, a Michigan hunger study anymore. I mean, we could take the, a portion of that line item, invest it, and it would generate enough interest for us that we could do the study, do the study, do the field work, and then do the analysis the second year and make that, It would tell us who's hungry, where do they live, and why. And then we can take these policies and programs we have and get those in alignment to address the why.
5: There's no way to solve these problems without having that information. It's impossible. And so I fully support that. Um, Again, I'm not sure that the Speaker the Majority Leader are incredibly interested in my opinion on this, but (laughs) I will be certain to share it.
1: Right. Thank you very much. Generous offer, and we accept.
5: Fantastic.
1: She is Dana Nessel. She is our Attorney General here in Michigan, and we thank you for being with us.
5: Thank you guys so much for all the great work that you do. Really appreciate it. Um, I, I can't speak on behalf of the entire state of Michigan, but if I could, uh, I would say that you guys are doing the Lord's work. I mean, I don't know else to phrase it.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's time for a little food for thought. From changing the conversation to creating a movement, this is our objective for our show. Change sometimes takes longer than we want, costs more than we figured, but almost always starts with a conversation. Conversing about how do we take hunger off the table and ensure people have access to the food they both want and need is what we are talking about each week. No matter how long we talk or do this show, we will always keep food first, folks. Food first.